Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. All right, well, I want to talk to you. Last week, we talked about what is God, what was God thinking? And so I promised you that I was going to talk today about what is God thinking now? Now, of course, if someone could answer this question, they would be a very sought-after person indeed, right? To know what God is thinking at any given time. But if we were to venture a guess, the answer would be, God is thinking what he always has, always has thought. Okay? And how do we know what that is? By looking at what he said. Truthfully, God never changes his thinking. And that's something important for us to understand. God is not flippant. He's not like a human and that how we can change your mind or that we're influenced by our emotions one way or the other of how, you know, we're all committed. You ever, you ever sat down with somebody and, and, and they've told you one thing and you sit down and they're like, oh, well, I've changed my mind. You're like, oh, man, I just planned the last six months of my, of my life around what you just said. And because you're now changing your mind, man, I've, I've got to go back to the drawing board, right? We've all been there. But God doesn't do that. We don't go to him in our devotions, and yesterday he tells us he loves us, and today he's like, you know, I changed my mind about you. You're out, you know? He doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, that is the most trustworthy, powerful thing about the word of God, is that it is yes and amen. It is like a foundation stone that cannot be moved. See, the biblical view is that God has made a huge statement and it's kind of like he, he called a press conference together, and he said, okay, this is what I believe about the universe. This is, what, this is my final word. And it goes something like this. I've sent my son. I will give you plenty of time to discover him, but it's not going to last forever. The time is coming when my son will come again and end this age in order to usher in the new age of eternity. So based on what he said, what is he thinking now? Okay. I just want to give you three quick points today to get you thinking, especially to kind of move us in kind of preparation for what God has for starting here very, very soon with our ATK. But number one, God thinks, what does God think about? God thinks about all the souls of the earth. That's important for us to remember. That God is not flippant. That God is not thoughtless. That God is not without compassion. No, God is thinking of every single soul on the earth. How do we know that? Because Jesus told us that. No one was really confident of that. As a matter of fact, as the gospel began to develop, as it began to open up and be exposed to the rest of the world, the, the disciples were completely shocked out of their mind. I was explaining this to Ben on a walk the other day. I said, you know, Ben, can you imagine for the first time when the Jews realized that the gospel wasn't, always, wasn't just about them? It was about every single human being on the earth, which went back to, Adam, uh, back to Abraham. It was one of those clear nights we were looking at all the stars, and we had one of those wonderful conversations. What is God thinking about? God is thinking about all the souls of the earth. Jesus shared through the book of John in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, a verse that is so well-known. It is probably the most well-known verse on the, on the face of the planet. You can't kick a field goal in any NFL game without looking and seeing it sit there. John 3.16, right? 
So let's read it again. When we think in terms of what is God thinking, let's put this verse in the spirit of Valentine's Day. Let's look at this. For God so loved the world. And that Greek word is agape. Come back to that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He wasn't sent to be a final word to say you're doomed. And I think sometimes we, we fall into that, don't we? Rather than to tell this changing world, this undulating moral thing that we've got going on, we're more, we tend to be motivated to tell them, no, look, you're going to hell. You're going to be punished for what you're doing. No. No, God has a stronger message, a clearer message, and that God is saying, I love you. I'm for you. I want to save you. I want to redeem you. I, haven't, I didn't send Jesus to judge the world. That will only be really the, um, the afterburn, if you will, because God's going to gather up. He's saying, look, I'm gonna, I've sent my son. I've loved you so much. He is your way of escape. The only ones who will not get on that boat, the only ones who will not receive that will be the ones in the end who have to purposely look at Jesus and say, I don't want you. It won't be for any soul, as, as we're told from Scripture, they won't get there and say, well, I didn't know about you. I didn't hear about you. No, that won't be the case. It certainly hasn't been the case and will not be the case. So God loved the world. And so we know that God's motivation is love. You know, we talk about Valentine's Day. And we've, you know, the Beatles saying, all you need is love. Great song. And I love to read the memes, and I love to see what's going on out there, and people talking about love right now. Love is awesome. But no, love is not all we need. Okay? We need truth in the context. I think, you know what's amazing is that I think people really do, and Andrew and I and my children, we talk about this, people really do misunderstand what love is. It's just a four-letter word, but it does, it's one of those words that does not compact with enough meaning for really for people to understand. Because well, see, when we go back to John 3.16, it says, for God so agape the world. And what does that mean? You know, it means that he loves us to the point of sending his son to die for us. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love to say, I'm, this is going to cost me everything to love you. This is going to be a sacrifice. This is going to be a painful process. And it also means that when it comes to love, that it's not all about just feelings. It's not about the warm and fuzzies. There's other kinds of loves for, love for that, by the way. There's phileo love, the brotherly love. And eros, it's the sexual love. But agape is a different kind of love altogether. Really what I'd like to think agape love is the kind of love that's real. It's the real kind of love. It's kind of the love that put all the emotions, all the feelings aside, all the warm and fuzzies, put away the, the box of chocolates, put away the cards, put away the flowers, the carnations and roses, put all that aside. What is left is, and of course all the ladies are saying, yeah, but we want that too. Okay, you can, you know, you, you can have that. But what I'm saying is... <laughs> 
What I'm saying is that deep underneath it, when Valentine's Day is over, and the chocolates are all gone, and the flowers have faded and turned brown in their jar, what is left but the love that says, I'm still here and I'm not going anywhere. And I've given myself to you. And that's what Jesus, that's the kind of love. That's what God thinks about all the souls of the earth. God doesn't have this flippant kind of warm and fuzzy love. All you need is kind of love, that kind of thing. Mm -mm. No, no, no. God gave his son, he died for us. And he also, he thinks when he thinks about people, he also thinks about the kind of people that no one else thinks about. You know, uh, Tim Tebow, I, I've got him on my, my feed. And, you know, you know, you've heard me talk about Tim before, but he, he really takes the world by storm because of what he does. He's, he, he's loving right now. I think he just finished up this uh, kind of a, uh, I'm trying to discuss or think what it might be called, but it's like a, uh, a prom. There you go. But I think he was celebrating Valentine's Day and the whole thing. But taking children who are um, struggling in many different ways physically, uh, Down syndrome children, children with all kinds of diseases, uh, you know, terminally ill children. And he's showing them things that they've never seen before, treating them like princes and queens, and it's, it's pretty amazing. It's awesome. Loving on them in ways that no one else would love. I like to think that that's a kind of love that God shows toward every human being. Not based on our position, not how beautiful are, not how the things that we've done and accomplished. You know, it's funny how when people are being successful, and this is a proverb, that you gain lots of friends and lots of followers. But, when, but then when something bad happens in your life, it's like, phew, everybody just disappears, right? God's the only one who's left in those situations, by the way. When all else abandon us, God stays. So God does think about all the people of the earth. He also thinks about those that are suffering. And so when you're suffering, God is thinking about you. You know, we're, we've just finished the book of Job in our yearly reading, right? And we look at Job and what he suffered and what he had to go through. It's, it's unthinkable what he had to go through. It. Losing his whole family and everything that he had was destroyed. And then he's just laying there in boils you got to say, man, that guy had a, had a tough situation. But God was still thinking about it and loved him. God thinks of human beings in more than one reality. This one and the one to come. And that's important to understand. That's agape love, by the way. Agape love means I'm not just going to love you for right now. I'm going to love you in a way that is going to affect your life tomorrow and for many years to come. That's how parents should love their children. In other words, we talk about discipline. Well, that's not very loving to discipline your children. Actually, the opposite of true is true. If you don't discipline your children, you're not showing them love. <laughs> A lot of parents say, amen. Yeah, that's right. But, I mean, it's not just because we want to be in charge and we want to make their lives uh, miserable. If we really love them, then we'll tell them no. And God does the same thing. When we think of love and God dealing with all the moral confusion and the things that we've got going on right now, folks, God is saying, I told you no, and I haven't changed my mind. I've said that that is an abomination to me, and it always will be. Just because it's changed on CNN, just because a lot of the shows you watch on TV now, just because all of that is changed in the minds of people and trying to make the moral confusion that we see out there, something that is more palatable 
doesn't mean God has changed his mind. Not at all. Because God loves us to the point where he says, I love you enough, enough to tell you that, about the things that are going to hurt you. See? And that is what makes Jesus and Judeo-Christian faith so unique, so different, completely incomparable to all the other religions of the earth, is we've got a God who loves us enough to tell us about the things that will hurt us. And to say, look, eternity is only a door. This life is but a blink of an eye compared to eternity. You and I are citizens of eternity. You know? Not of a nation, not of any other place. So God thinks about all the souls of the earth, and he's always doing it. Always. Number two, what is God thinking about? God thinks about his people. Of course, he's thinking of all of humans, but he's thinking about us in very specific, intricate ways. And what is he thinking about? Is it just, well, I love them, moving on from here? No, 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 no. God is thinking about you in such a way that he wants to see you succeed. Don't you like that? God is thinking of you and I in ways that he's saying, look, I want to see you be able to bear the most fruit. Look at Psalm 111, 2 through 9. I'm going to read this. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Pondered, I like that, don't you? Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. I want, I want you to notice how many times the word forever is used here. Because when we think of God, what if God is thinking? I, I, wanted, I wanted you to see that. When, what God is thinking is what God has always thought and what God will always think. That's key. That's key. When we look at the word, and he uses the word forever, it's, it's forever, period. He remembers his covenant forever. What Jesus did on the cross, he will remember forever. It has impacted the earth. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. You know, I stopped, and I almost wanted to talk about that more, and I won't, but I look at that, and I just think, wow, that's right in the Bible. Hmm. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They're established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. Here we go forever again. He's established the promises, his precepts, the things that he told us regarding what real love is and how human beings should interact and how we should keep our word even though it hurts. When we, we love and when, we, when we, we create a covenant of love in marriage, and when we see how God created us and how God wanted us to interact and how, in, in how he broke it down and how human relationships would thrive under a certain set of conditions, he says, I have established that forever and ever. It doesn't change. No popularity, no cultural shift, no you know, uh, norms changed. Mm-mm. He says, enacted in faithful and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. Look at that. Provided. Past tense. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. There it is again. Holy 
and awesome is his name. There's that word again, awesome. Talked about that last week. It's the only, it's the only word, I mean, that's the only way, and God is the only one, really, that that word should be used for. Awesome. So notice that he, he ordained his covenant forever, and that's a long time, isn't it? <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's a great verse, isn't it? I'm sure you've quoted it many times as I have. But when we think in terms of what God is thinking about, God is thinking about us, his people, the people of his covenant. That's what I wanted to point out to you. God has made a covenant with his people. And he's been drawing us along. He's been preparing this covenant from the days of Abraham, through Moses, through the kings, through the nation, through his son, Jesus Christ, to where we sit here today. And all that he has said about our relationship with our holy God is yes and amen. And I love this in Jeremiah 29. It's, it's, it's so real. It's so perfect. It's so personal. He says, I know the plans I have for you. What is God thinking about? He's thinking about you and I. I know we talked about that last week, but I just want to reemphasize that. What is God thinking about right now? Right now, he's thinking about you and I. He loves us, you and me. Yeah, about you and me. There you go. He's thinking about us. He's thinking about us, and, and he's thinking about us every minute of the day. And that is so different than the concept, I think, of people when they think of, of who God is on our universities today. I think it's so different when people and what they write in their blog spaces and what people out there that we so readily follow and listen to, but if we'll really dig in and ask them, well, what do you think about God? Do you think he's a personal God? Well, if he was, I have no idea why he's letting happen all this. We talked about that last week. Mm -mm. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? Prosper you. God did, let's go back to John 3, he said, God did not send his son to judge the world, nor does God have a relationship with you to tear you down. He wants to prosper us. That's something we need to really hold on to with a lot of faith and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope. Plans to give us a future. Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands. I love that. I love it because it takes away, you know, the idea. I, I think so much today is, is being pushed on into computers and pushed on into, you know, these second, you know, uh, secondary ways of, of bearing fruit. I like to, you know, just call them the uh, pyramid schemes and plans of life. But God says, no, I want to bless your hands. I want to bless what you do the fruit of your life, what specifically comes out of you that is very unique to you. He says, I want to make you prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb. Hmm. He says, talks about how our children, we need to take that idea of having, you know, what is God thinking about? God wants us to prosper. He also wants us to be fruitful and to multiply. He wants to take that idea of prospering and pass it on to the next generation. Man, it, it just so breaks my heart. Because when I read, it, our world and its values are so different now. I mean, matter of fact, I've, I've been writing the, the Women of Action material for our, our ladies, and I started it off with, as a matter of fact, as I started to write it, I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm writing things I never thought I would write 10 years ago. 
I'm addressing things that I never thought I would have to address. It's blowing my mind. I'm like, wow, okay, well, here we go. We better talk about this. But here God says, I want to bless the womb. I want, to, I want children to be re, not revered, but loved and seen as a precious gift from God. You know, the time will probably come that I think Americans will look back one day and see and shake her head that how flippantly we treated the fruit of our womb. Hmm. I think one day we will look back and shake our heads. The young of your life, stop the crops of your land. God says, I want to bless all that. The Lord will again will delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. You know, in the Old Testament, it's, it's amazing that you find this kind of personal, you know, the language like delighted and to delight in us. Then he wants to make us prosperous and bless and give us fruit. You know, you, you see this kind of language and it's very Old Testament. If it was that way in the Old Testament, how much more now? How much more now? that God is intimately wanting to see us prosper and to be blessed. So what is God thinking about? God is thinking about you. He thinks about you all the time. What does he want and what is he thinking about? How he can bless you. How you can prosper you. Now don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about prosperity doctrine here. I'm not talking about he makes, wants to make us all millionaires. You know, no, no. You, you can have very little and be a very prosperous soul. You know? You can have, in matter of fact, it's more about living within your means, you know, and having your own little spot, which is interesting, which is why everybody's wanting to run away to Alaska these days for some reason. Uh, yeah, I got caught up in it too. I was like, honey, man, I, I want you to think about Alaska. And she's like, no, never. All right, so that was over. But anyway, why want people do that is because they want to simplify their life. All right, the third thing. Number three, what is God thinking about? God thinks about advancing his kingdom. You know, I've had people come to me and they'll say, man, Pastor David, you talk about advancing kingdom, advancing kingdom, advancing kingdom. You talk about that all the time. That's because that's what Jesus talked about all the time. And I learned years ago that it's really, as a pastor, as a leader, it's, and especially of the church, it's best if I talk mostly about what Jesus was talking about. It kind of works out better. And so... When you really begin to look at the Gospels and you really dig in to see what the message, what Jesus' message was, he says, look, the kingdom of God is here. I'm here to announce that everything you've ever known is completely changed. It's game over. We start something new. There is a kingdom. There is a king. And from here on out, you're a part of it. And I've called you to help me expand it. So what is God thinking about? God is thinking about right now how to advance his kingdom. And how does he do it? He's chosen you and I to do it. Look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
The last things people say are pretty important, aren't they? Whether they be on their deathbed or the last things they tell you before they're going to leave for a very, very long time. Those are the times. It's like, hey, look, I, I forgot this. I need to really tell you this. This is really important. Okay, here's, here's a key to the lockbox at the post office. It's got a million dollars in it. Here, here you go. I almost forgot. Well, thanks for remembering. Yeah? In this case, Jesus is saying, look, I'm getting ready to go with my father, and I'm going to be gone for a very, very long time. I'm coming again, but it's going to be a long time. Now we know it wasn't even going to be in their lifetimes. So he gathers them together, and what does he tell them? He says, now, go and make disciples, guys. I've taught you everything I know. I've poured into your lives. Now go make disciples, and make disciples who will make disciples. Make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. He said, look, from here on out, everything's changed. You will be able to do awesome things in my name. And I, what I need you to do, generation after generation after generation after generation, is to tell people that Jesus Christ is Lord. Tell them about the love of God. Tell them about the redemptive plan of God. Tell them what God is thinking about. And not only just tell them, but when they get to the point and they say, look, I, I want... I want to say yes to what you're telling them. Then baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And then teach them what I taught you. You getting it? You seeing it? This answers the question, really, why we're doing what we're doing here today. And a lot of times as, as a church, we, can't, we forget the, the trees. We, 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 we've been staring at the forest for so long. We've been a part of the church for so long that a lot of times we forget what it's even really there or here for. You know, we have the ATK coming up. It's not just a, a missions conference. We don't do this because we have to. There's no, um, uh, you know, missions agency. We don't belong to a denomination that is forcing this upon us. It, it, there's no other reason other than the fact that when we read in Matthew 28, it says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey. When we look at that, we say, okay, God, you didn't tell us exactly how to do this. Kind of left us in a lurch there. But what we get is God saying, get creative. <laughs> do it. Just do it. Figure out how to do it. Do it in any way that you can do it. But make disciples plant churches. Now, the book of Acts is all about them following up on it. What do they do? They planted churches. They sent out missionaries. They laid hands on the sick, and they recovered. They did all the kind of things that we do today. We took that as our blueprint, and we said, yes, sir. So we're going to gather these people together. We just said, well, why reinvent the wheel? There are people out there that we have relationship that are doing this, that have been called to do it, so we're going to bring them all together next week, and we're going to call them in. It is next week, isn't it? We're going to call them together. No, it's two weeks. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was thinking, boy, I'm ahead of myself. You know, we all live two weeks ahead of where we really are, don't we? That's about the way it goes. So anyway, but when it comes up, look, it's, it's going to be all about expanding the kingdom. How can we do that? In other words, if I, son, I see somebody that's out there and they got a heart for the kingdom of God and they want to share the gospel, and I'm like, well, I can't go to the people that you go to. I don't know how to reach women that are caught in sex trafficking. But you're doing it. You've got a calling for it, so I'm going to help you get there. 
I don't want to go to Vanuatu, to be honest with you. But Brian and Tanya have said yes to going there, and they're going to gather orphans together. You know, this is amazing. I don't know if you've heard this, but you will. So I'll just steal their story a little bit. But when, when we drop our kids off to go to school in September or late August, we pick them up at the end of the day. In Vanuatu, they drop them off, and they don't show back for up for seven, eight months. They just drop them off at the island where the school is. The kids live in the cane fields and scrap up whatever food they can get. Then the boat comes back and picks them up. Hey, hey, you're alive. Awesome. Hope you learned a lot. Tell me what you learned, Johnny. So Brian just saw an opportunity there to house these kids, love these kids. I mean, what an opportunity, huh? And then do what? Share the gospel with them baptizing them in the name of Jesus. I mean, what a brilliant idea. So many things, folks, that we can do just by partnering with others. People ask me, you know, Pastor David, why do you do what you do? This is our main value. This is why we do what we do. Isn't that right, Pastor Jamie? We teach you this in our class. Pastor Jamie will teach you this. What undergirds, undergirds everything we do is this verse right here, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. There are people that come into those doors and they are completely inundated. They don't know what the church is. They don't know what love is. They don't know who Jesus is. They've heard of Christ, and they've heard of what the Bible teaches, but they've never, ever really been introduced to it. And so what we do is we say, look, we don't want this to be such a shock to you. We don't want this to be such a mountain that you have to climb, that you walk in and it's all this Christianese, that you have to learn this whole lingo and language before you can even start. We want to be able to teach you that being a Christian is alive. It's celebratory. It's fun. It's exciting. It's the final frontier, as it always was meant to be. And it's right now. So what is God thinking about? God is thinking about advancing his kingdom. And he's thinking about you and I getting busy doing it. I didn't put this verse down, but you know, when we get to heaven, one of the questions we're going to receive, if not the first one, see, we'll already have passed through the gate. I mean, you're, you'll have your, you know, you'll, they'll check the Lamb's Book of Life whether your name is in. I mean, that's first off, right? Whether you've got reservations. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But once you are in, the next thing that's going to be asked us is, what did you do with what I gave you to advance my kingdom? What did you do to get going on Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20? How did you live your life missionally? How did you use your, the gifts of your life? How did you use... How, did you, how was your marriage? How did you raise your children? How did you use your business? How did you use the, what you, what, what, the, the, the strength of your hands? How did you use all of this? With the talents that I gave you, did you bury them? Or did you multiply them by sowing them into the kingdom of God? It's going to be asked of us. Is that what God is thinking about? Absolutely. Why? Because that's what he thought about then. And that's what he's always thinking about. And Jesus made that very clear to us. He said, look, I'm going away. I'm telling you the kingdom of God is here. I'm giving it to you. Told Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Now go. What you bind on earth will be bound. Bound in heaven, bound on earth, bound, you know. He says, go. Make it happen. So folks, we're privileged. 
to reap the fruit of his suffering. There's no doubt in my mind that that's what this is all about, is how much we are privileged with the opportunity. See, we fall so... You know, to me, when the church gets away from its mission, it becomes a boring, lifeless, inbred, infighting organization. That's what it becomes. It's painful. And when it drifts into that, people flee from it after a while. Because all we got left to do is to try to point out each other's faults, right? All we have left is to say, well, look, you're not as sanctified as, as I am. So you better get on it. And Jesus is saying, well, that's an indication that you are less sanctified if you're, that's all you do. Become a fruit inspector, right? But man, when the church gets on mission, we have Tammy and Josh this morning. Am I, am I preaching it, brother? Am I telling them the truth? Amen. When the church gets on mission and on point, and would do what Jesus calls us to do, then man, it's like, it's like opening the windows up and fresh air blowing into the church and the life that we can receive. It makes, it makes us all feel re-energized. It makes us feel that we've got a purpose and a place that we can really pour into because what happens is it's, it's literally like opening up a new market. It's like, man, we, and we don't have no one else to sell this, this to. We have nowhere else. But man, when you start thinking the kingdom of God, it's just like, boom. Wow, the possibilities. And what that gives us is real energy, personal energy. Folks, we're privileged. Jesus died on the cross so that every man, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and now we've been privileged with telling everybody about that. Telling them in every corner, in every place, as creatively as we can figure it out. It's a lot of fun. So God wants us to share his love. Yeah, Valentine's Day is a great day uh, about love, and, and uh, I think sometimes it can get confused, but you know, we know ultimately it's about lovers. It's about celebrating the love between human beings. But folks, there's a greater love. There's a much greater love. It's the kind of love that'll never change when the flowers fade. It's the kind of love that when it's written in a card in the form of the book, that that won't change. Isn't that awesome? That God, has written, God has not just written us a card. He's given us a whole book. Matter of fact, it's a book of 66 books. It's the whole story. If somebody would really take the Bible and tell us what it really is, it's a love story of how we were lost and then we were found and we're given a purpose and the bridegroom is coming again, coming to get us. Amen? Amen.